0: This Broadway Bullet unedited interview is brought to you by the School of Theater and Performing Arts at the University of Providence, uprovidence.edu, and the Dramatists Guild Fund at dgfund.org. had a really unique theater experience, a uh, company that does work on site, site-specific work, which uh, is, a, I think, an earlier cousin to all this immersive work. And Androboros is the oldest surviving American play, written 300 years ago, and I got a chance to watch it being performed by a talented group of actors in a building that is 300 years old. In the neighborhood that the play was originally set. A wonderful experience. And we have the director for Andrew Burroughs here to talk about site-specific work, his company, and all of that goodness. Ralph Lewis, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. So, I guess the first thing, tell us a little bit about what attracts you to a play for your company and, like, why did you choose Andrew Burroughs specifically as a...
1: Well, um- my partners and I, uh, Barry and Catherine, and, and myself, we, we met as actors. What's the company's name again? It's called Peculiar Works yes, Project. Yes. And uh, when we sort of went out on our own, it was uh, a time when we were acting and we had performed with a group called On Guard Arts which did site specific work and so we just thought their work was incredible and we wanted to go out and do something like what they were doing and at the time uh, there was a lot of vacant space in New York Mm -hmm. City empty buildings especially down in the lower part of Manhattan and uh, it seems like the moment after we started the company the whole real estate market changed (laughs) and it was very different and it forced us to find different kinds of spaces Uh, but we uh, uh, so we We thought site specific work would be a good way for us to tell stories live on stage in different ways and in different places that would give audiences a different experience than just going into some black box and seeing something in front of black velvet curtains. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. Not that's, that there's anything wrong with that. No, <laughs> no. A- absolutely not. Absolutely not. And sometimes, you know, I, I long for those days. You know, when we do a show, mm. we don't just build the sets uh, and hang the lights. We build the backstage. We build the, the box mm. office. We build the lobby. Mm. You know, we... We build the audience seating riser. So it's a lot more work uh, than just doing your normal production mm-hmm. in, in a theater. Uh, but we've... Since, you know, we've done so many different kinds of shows over our 24 years, and sometimes they're immersive, sometimes they're interactive, uh, sometimes they're promenade, and the audience just mm-hmm. follows down a, a street or through a building seeing different parts of a piece. Uh, so we've we've done a lot of different types of site-specific work. It's not just one thing. Uh, but for this piece, uh, which is sort of a uh, traditional play in many ways, days. Uh, We thought we needed a space that would somehow bring out the history of it. And my day job just happens to be uh, down in that area. And one day on my lunch hour, I thought, hey, that restaurant across the street, I should see if they have like a banquet room in the back or something. And uh, the hostess at the desk said, oh, I think you want the museum upstairs. I'm like, there's a museum upstairs? And I was like amazed that there's, you know, three floors of this museum. We went in, we pitched the project. And they were very open to it. They've been lovely hosts for us. But just the idea of having the audience walk through like three different rooms of period artifacts, tables, chairs, forks, knives, plates, paintings, all sorts of stuff that were actually created about the same time the play was being written. It just seemed like Mm -hmm. a terrific match. uh, And it's really turned out great for us. So we've really enjoyed that.
0: So when picking something like Ander Burroughs or others and you're doing site-specific work, I guess my wondering is you know, kind of the chicken or the egg scenario. Do you look for the sites and then try to find a piece that works with that site? Or do you find a piece and then search for the the site
1: for the piece. It is very much a chicken and egg thing. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's the chicken and sometimes mm-hmm. it's the egg. Mm-hmm. It really does vary. You know, we do do a lot of new plays and we also adapt, you know, classical pieces. Uh, the newer plays, sometimes they take longer to develop, whereas the classical piece, you kind of have yeah. the text of, of what you're going to work with. Uh, so, um, Yeah, in this particular, we did a workshop of this piece uh, last November, just the weekend before the election, and we actually did it in a boxing ring in Greenwich Village. And that was very cool, very contemporary staging, whereas this, we've gone back to the origins of the play. So it's a completely uh, different experience. Uh, What had really happened, if I can tell you how I found this play, uh, my best friend gave me a book for a a birthday gift, and this book is called Before and Behind the Curtain by William Northall. I highly Mm -hmm. recommend the book. It was written in 1853, and it's all about what was going on with theater at that that time, and basically, it was between City Hall Park and Astor Place. That's Mm -hmm. where the theaters were along Broadway and the Bowery. Well, I was bragging to someone about this book, and they said, hey, would you like to do a book talk of it? So I was like, sure. And so I do this sort of TED Talk about these early theaters, and it gave me an opportunity to go back and say, well, what were the first theaters in New York Mm -hmm. and in America? What were the first plays? Actually, I think the oldest play that I could find is something called Ye Cub, Ye Bear that was performed in the Williamsburg Colony. Was that the original Gay Pride show? It sounds
0: like (laughs) it. And actually, we would never. I <laughs> would
1: know that this play existed were it not for the fact that the actors were arrested mm-hmm. and put on trial, and the judge had had them perform the play right. at the trial, and the judge said it was just so bad, he dismissed the case, and the guys were exonerated. <laughs> but after that, the, the sort of oldest surviving play yeah. that we have in America is Andrew Burroughs. And I was surprised to, to see that it had never been performed before, that, that I could find any record of. So we're like, well, we got to do this. And and then of course you start reading the play and realize it's that old English and it's a—it's really hard to read the original and maybe that's mm, why dude. it's never been done. Uh, but my dramaturg Barbara Yoshida and I, we just spent uh, a year before the workshop and then the year after the workshop just changing words, not changing plot or character, things like that, Mm -hmm. but just making it more understandable for an audience today. And really, if you've read some of the early American plays, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of uh, religious pageant plays. It's a lot of melodrama. America invented the melodrama, which with television, we don't really need on the theater quite as much. We need plays with ideas. And this play had such a great idea. It was written by the colonial governor at the time, Robert Hunter, after he had left office. He had been brought from the, uh, Britain to rule the New York colony at a very delicate time, and the assembly just wanted to have nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. And, and they just would not pass any of his laws, they would not go along with anything he wanted to do, and really this was America's first gridlock. I mean, you think politics is bad today? Yeah. It's always been bad, and this play is is a great example of that. Uh, but uh, so he wrote this play about to sort of vent his frustrations with, with the experiences that he had. And all of the characters in the play are based on real factual people in history. <laughs> the villain of the play is based on Reverend VC, which VC mm-hmm. Street down at the World Trade Center mm-hmm. is named for. He was the head of Trinity Church at the time. And the play is based on mm-hmm an event that took place at the church, which is now known as the Vestment Scandal of 1714, Mm -hmm. where someone broke into the church and urinated and defecated on the sacred robes of the church. And the reverend, he wanted this governor, Robert Hunter, to find out who the heck did this. Well, decades later, we learned the reverend actually did it to try to set up the the governor for failure. And so this is sort of the, the plot that he then wrote the play about after he left office. We'll be
0: right back to this interview in just a second.
1: Special thanks to our travel sponsor,
0: Our travel sponsor for this podcast is the University of Providence School of Theater and Business Arts. Learn the art of being an artist as well as the business of being an artist in this unique program at the University of Providence. Find out more information at broadwaybullet.com or at uprovidence.edu.
1: Special thanks to our location sponsor.
0: Writers need a full community of support in order to do their important work. That's where DGF steps in. The Dramatist Guild Foundation, DGF, is a national charity that fuels the future of American theater by supporting playwrights, composers, lyricists, and book writers at all stages of their careers. They do this by sponsoring educational programs, providing emergency aid to writers in need, and offering a free rehearsal space where I've recorded this episode. For any questions about how DGF might be able to help you, please visit dgf.org. And now, back to our program. So have you thought at all about, now that you've done all this work with your dramaturg and made this play more adaptable and easier to speak, and some of the words of of publishing or putting this uh, text out for other groups to look at?
1: Well, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things we've talked a lot about over the past couple of months is what is the American canon of classical theater? You know, I mean, when you see all these great classical theaters in the United States, the majority of the work they do is by some British guy named William Shake-something. Yeah, Shake something, yeah. And, and, something and, I'll come to you. Yeah, so what are, what are the classical plays of America's <laughs> yeah. history? And we're really hoping that maybe we can be just some small part of reintroducing this play into the American canon. And we would love to find ways to connect it with other theaters around the United States in the years to come. So even though we're gonna wrap up the production uh, uh, this, this weekend, we are very interested and excited about the possibilities of what we can do with it in the future. And, and hopefully, you know, students who study uh, the history of theater and stumble across this play and try to figure out where it fits in Maybe they'll want to do productions of it as well because it's really funny. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a farce. It's inf- highly influenced on the Commedia dell'arte that was popular in Europe at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the writer Robert Hunter was also a contemporary of, of uh, Jonathan Swift who wrote Gulliver's Travels. Mm-hmm. So he was a writer. This wasn't just a politician who decided I'm going to jot mm-hmm. something down. He he was a, a, a fine writer of his time, and and you know it it so it has kind of an Elizabeth. Be Restoration mm-hmm. feel to the text, mm-hmm. but the plot is very slapstick, farce, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And poopy jokes are yeah. always funny.
0: <laughs> so uh, this is your company, correct? The Peculiar... Peculiar
1: Works Project. Uh, my so, two pe- partners, we started it uh, as actors.
0: Okay, so what was the impetus for it? I, I tell my actors, I mean, the program I run is theater and business arts, mm-hmm. you know, found with this idea that you've got to create your own work as mm-hmm. well as, you know, go around. So... Um, so I'm not really surprised at this, except for I'm curious always what your individual take is. What was your need? You know, what, why was this birthed? Well, <laughs> uh,
1: the company, mm. I think, came out of, like a lot of good mm. things do, a very bad experience. Where we felt as actors, we weren't being treated fairly. We weren't getting opportunities. We were spending the majority of our time running the box office, writing grants, and doing other sorts of, you know, cleaning bathrooms mm-hmm. and stuff. And you know, finally, we just had to like quit complaining and get out there and make it happen for ourselves. And I'm so glad I didn't just go and do it on mm-hmm. my own, but I found two other people that shared a, a, a certain sort of aesthetic. Uh, ideals or goals that I had, and it really made it a lot more worthwhile to start the company with Barry and Catherine. And we've been writing pieces. We've been directing pieces. We act in our work from time to time. Catherine is our star actress. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barry writes mostly. I direct mostly. Um, But uh, uh, we've just And you stayed together all
0: together for 25 years?
1: Yes, we have.
0: That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and you
1: know what? (laughs) That's not easy either. You know, I am an energetic person. I am an opinionated person. I have my thoughts about what theater should be and can Mm -hmm. be. And, you know, they have those same sorts of feelings. And so we do clash. We Mm -hmm. do have, you know, tension and uh, somehow, you know, the work has been important enough and we enjoy each other's company enough that we've always found ways to find solutions to whatever we're going through. And, you know, the, we really, when we first started the company, we said, let's just do it for 10 years and then we'll move on because we'll be famous by yeah. then or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ten years into it, we had just gotten our 501c3. We were starting to get some grants. Things were moving along, so there was no reason to stop at that point. Uh, but the the idea of latching on to this site-specific idea and of, of creating new experiences for audiences that take place just beyond what they're seeing happen on stage is something that has sort of sustained us through all of this.
0: So uh, one thing I would site-specific, where do you store everything? I mean, the, your, <laughs> you, you, the costumes were pretty intricate for this, and there was a rather large cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that one of the biggest uh, issues with site specific
1: work must be kind of the storage and maintenance of. Uh, there, there is a lot of that, you know. And and this is yes, it is. Is a, a, There's a cast <laughs> of a dozen. We have understudies. We have mm-hmm. live musicians. Choreographer, mm-hmm. composer. I mean, there are over 35 people involved mm-hmm. in this one project. Uh, projections and animation that mm-hmm. were created by other artists. Um, and But as for the material things, you know, we try to limit what we do set-wise because we want the space to sort of speak to what the audience is seeing visually. Now, we do have a lot of light mm-hmm. things and light poles mm-hmm. and things that are heavy and bases mm-hmm. that we have to move around and boy, load ins mm-hmm. they can really wear you down and mm-hmm. strikes are also a lot of hard work. But we are fortunate in that we have a board member who is one of the uh, original Soho artists She still has a loft in Soho, and that is sort of the base of our operations. And she has provided us with a little corner of her loft, and we stack things all the way to the roof. You know, everything, (laughs) the the shoes have the shoe box, the the costumes have different racks that they hang on. We have suitcases full of, of cloth and other sorts of materials. But, you know, that really is a big thing. We've gotten really good about renting trucks and the rise of Uber. Uber and Lyft have really mm-hmm. helped us. But there were times when we would just put a couch on uh, a dolly mm-hmm. and I would throw on my roller skates and <laughs> roller skate from <laughs> 4th Street all the way to 42nd Street <laughs> and people taking photographs of me as I roll up the street. So we always find different ways to sort of get it done. But it, it is it, it can be a lot of work to have all of that material. And we just happen to be lucky that our board member gives us a place to keep it.
0: So when starting this company, is there one, is there anything in particular that is like, if I had known I was going to have to do this particular thing, I don't know if I would have jumped into this. Well, certainly. I, I <laughs> Besides pine, roller skating yeah, down. Yeah, uh... no, I, I, I pine for the days of
1: working with a lighting <laughs> yeah. grid, you know, because yeah. we never perform with, poles above the stage where we can hang lights. You know, wherever we go, we're always tapping into the breaker boxes of some Mm. space. And here we are now in a 300-year-old building. You know, sometimes there are certain issues about lighting and electricity and how much power Mm. you can get on each circuit before you can actually do it. Um, And and certainly putting up lighting Mm. poles and other things, it's a lot of work. So yeah, you know, it, it, you know, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't mm-hmm. know. I'm I'm sure if I was working in some the same theater every production mm-hmm. over and over again, I would say, gosh, I wish we could do something site specifically, <laughs> you know. So uh, so yeah, that you know, that's some of the challenges is actually building the show. Um, but you know, at this point, I think it's obvious. After 24 years, I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Um, is your company largely company based, or do you audition fresh each mm. show? Good
1: good question. Good Mm -hmm. question. You know, we we met at a membership company, and that was one of the things that we felt was holding us back, that as members, we had all these other requirements that we had to do beyond just being actors. Mm -hmm. So when we started our company, we said, it'll just be the three of us. If anybody works with us, it's because they want to, not because they're required to. And actually, you know, our casting director, who is also a great vocalist and does musical direction for the company, she was one of the actresses with us in that company mm-hmm. way back then. So we do have a core of actors and writers, directors, composers and, and choreographers who have worked with us for decades. And then we also like the idea of bringing in new performers. And, you know, this shows a good example of that. About half of the cast was in the workshop a year ago in the boxing ring, and the other half of the cast uh, are new actors. And it's worked out to be really terrific. I, I'm so pleased without even trying to have a, such a diverse cast. I mean, we we have we have actors from the Middle East, from South Asia, uh, from Norway, from Venezuela, uh, f- uh, from Puerto Rico. I mean, our our cast really. I comes also really from all appreciate that place. you cast so
0: many women in the show, even though I, I there the, are men's roles. I think yeah. I think one, you know, one of my big soapbox. I've been on it for a while, and I'll probably be on it until the problem's fixed. Is um, I really discovered the shortage of women's roles when I started teaching and 70% of my students are women and I'm trying to find a season that can balance, you know, Mm -hmm. balance that out is where it really hit home how few roles are written, you know, for for women, and I think one of the problems is this idea, this institutional educational thing of classical theater, mm-hmm. yeah. when all there were like almost no women's roles, yeah. and so it like, and they don't open. The, they think it's alternative to cast a woman as a man yeah. in the thing, like it's making a statement. And I don't think I didn't sense there was any statement being made about your casting women. Yep. It was just That's actors correct. playing roles. Yeah. Um, and but it gets in, so it just kind of feeds, and then I think a lot of times you know, beyond the other mechanics, I think this idea of classical theater repertoire is kind Mm -hmm. of holding us back Mm -hmm. um, that I think more people need to look at the idea that they can, cast it Mm -hmm. just with actors not with genders yeah i
1: totally agree with that i mean that you know that that's one of the difficulties about shakespeare is you know women didn't didn't work mm -hmm. in the theater when these plays were written so they were all written with the idea Mm -hmm. that it was going to be all men performing Mm -hmm. them and and that is also the case with andrew burroughs is that All of the characters in the play are all men because they're all senators, congressmen, assembly members, governors, Mm -hmm. that that type of of character. But uh, and and yeah, we, we really did sort of make an effort to get both men and women a nice mix in the play without having to be like any sort of feminist statement or any yeah. sort of statement at all we just wanted them to get up there and play those roles
0: I was still seeing a nice historical play about America and I wasn't going oh wow why is a woman playing mm-hmm. that man mm-hmm. I think directors out there got to realize that that's with classical works with anything I think that's it doesn't have to be a statement right you can just you know mm. um, cast uh and the other thing I think that's kind of leading this imbalance is of course when playwrights want to adapt. And you know, we all love to adapt things because it comes with a built-in audience. Mm-hmm. But when we when we're looking at adapting things, the easiest way to go, path of the least resistance is public domain. Yeah. And so again, we're dealing with an era, we're adapting from an era where everything was about men. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we just gotta get past those two things and look at different things. Or if we're gonna adapt, sure, switch genders, switch w- whatever. Don't feel beholden to the past just because you're borrowing from it. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, this was a rare find for us in this play and and that really worked out well. And some of that, I think, might be based on uh, our company has... We did a project in 2007 which was about the 50-year anniversary of the birth of Off Off Broadway. So we did a promenade in the East Village Mm -hmm. and the West Village where we took audiences to the locations or Mm -hmm. near the locations where the first Off Off Broadway Mm -hmm. theaters were, and we did little vignettes from the plays that were made famous Mm -hmm. there. And in studying those plays and researching plays and all the, the time we've spent on early Off Off Broadway, you see a nice mix of... of of female roles, male roles, gay roles, straight Mm. roles. A lot of that was really starting to mix up in the 60s in a way, and I think that sort of had an influence on what we do. I mean, one of the things I love is I really think Off Off Broadway was begun, began by a woman. I mean, Julie Bavaso did this first production of The Maids on mm-hmm. St. Mark's Place, and Jerry Talmer at the Village Voice wrote about it, and the Obie Awards started nine months later, and that was really the birth of mm-hmm. Off Off Broadway, thanks to uh, an incredible woman named Julie Bavaso. So mm-hmm. please, Look her up. And she was a writer and a director and a credible woman. Mm-hmm. And she played John Travolta's mother in Saturday Night Fever or something mm-hmm. like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. a great woman. Look her up. All right.
0: So what what have been some of your other experiences in in New York, uh, political or paperwork or just organizational in, in keeping this place going? What have been the big changes over 25 years of moving your shows place to place.
1: Wow, Um, yeah, what are the big changes? I mean, for one thing, when we first started doing site-specific theater, we had to explain it to people. Mm -hmm. And usually, if they knew anything about it, Uh, most often it had to do with dance because dance works so well outdoors Mm -hmm. where speaking in an outdoor Mm, place you have to be very careful about acoustics and things like that but now what you have you know some of these larger Mm. uh, site specific or immersive pieces uh, or like the angel project that went through Times Square maybe five or ten years ago and so now a lot of the performers and and artists that have worked on some of those productions have started their own companies and now we're just one of like several companies uh, who sort of does what we do you know certainly technology Mm -hmm. has changed everything about what everybody Mm -hmm. does I mean, one of the projects we did a decade ago, uh, we believe we're the first company to ever do one play in two different cities at the same time. Mm -hmm. We did here in New York, Mm -hmm. we had four actors, and out in Los Angeles, we had five actors. We had two video cameras, two video screens Mm -hmm. in both locations, and the actors were actually performing scenes Mm -hmm. with each other three hours Mm -hmm. apart as Mm -hmm. time goes. And uh, I think we're the first theater Company to ever use uh, uh, the internet and uh, uh, teleconferencing to be able to uh, you know make a play, travel so far and yet still have everybody see. Everybody all in that room, whether they saw the play in New York or if they saw the play in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So certainly technology, you know, has had a big effect. Also, you know, some of the uh, the gig economy in terms of, you know, it's a lot easier to get a car to load props Mm -hmm. in or things like that. So uh, we're doing a lot less uh, uh, lugging stuff around Mm -hmm. on hand trucks and and. Shopping carts and things like that.
0: So, yeah. so a couple Uber rides can quickly uh, quickly take that budget. It, it can. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah,
1: it's not necessarily yeah. cheap, but, you know, we're getting at the age now yeah. where oh, yeah. our backs only want to carry so much
0: stuff. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So uh, anything uh, on the works, on the horizons for Peculiar Works?
1: Well, we actually... Um, uh, last year, we we have a two character play that my partner Barry wrote called Floyd Data that we have uh, started touring to a few different locations. And of course, with the the purists of site specific, there's questions about mm-hmm. can site specific theater be done in different locations? Mm-hmm. Is it still specific to that site? Mm-hmm. And so we're we're experimenting with how to get our work uh, in different locations. Uh, and then of course, um, I am going to be doing more of this TED Talk lecture about the birth of theater in New York City. I also do another uh, talk about the Astor Place riots, uh, which I- is an incredible moment in theater history that everyone should this look the one, into. the one, the two Macbeths? The, the two Macbeths, yes. yes. <laughs> the British Macbeth and the American Macbeth, and it ended up uh, um, creating a whole... Um, riot Mm -hmm. in Astor Place where the National Guard was called out and shot and killed 22 unarmed Americans. Uh, My understanding is nothing like that happened again until Kent State. So that was really where theater was about much more than just plays and acting. And so I I like talking about that event. Uh, And then I have another project uh, that I wanna do uh, which be, would be to bring back America's first musical, which is called The Black Crook. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And it debuted at Niblo's Garden, which is actually right across the street from the loft where we store our stuff. Oh, yeah. And I used to look out that window in the big building across the street and try to imagine really, there was a theater there? And before that theater, there was a garden there. You know, this was a time when parks and the parks department did not exist. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to walk around in the woods and not get, you know, attacked Mm -hmm. by, you know, Indians or whoever was, was out in the woods, you know, parks were a place where you could go and just sort of relax. And then they started building theaters on these parks. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. the Black Crook was performed there and it became America's first book musical. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredible story. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's definitely a love story. Uh, But hopefully, you know, over the next two or three years, we can develop that into something that might be fun.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Well, uh, Ralph Lewis, it's been a pleasure chatting with you about Andrew Burroughs and peculiar theater works. And now uh, that'll i go again. and site specific works. Um, like I said, I think more people need to look outside the boundaries of you know of, of the proscenium wall for where uh, theater and art can happen. So I'm glad yeah. you guys are doing that. Thank and, you. And uh, best of luck with your future endeavors.
1: Great. Thank you very much for your time.